Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Kyle, happy Thursday, dude. Yes, sir. And I see that you're donning your Luka Doncic jersey. I know it's not necessarily going that well with the, the Mavericks right now. Just just so you guys know, um, Kevin's been watching the game. I think we're about halfway through the game at this point. And he's not happy. He's not happy with how the uh, the Mavericks are performing against the Hawks in the first game of the season. Mm-mm. It's Why very so? hard to uh, stay calm. Why so? Why so? I, I just, it looks like the same team from last year. Just shot selection, lack of effort, lack of defense. I mean, it's just you—you you name it. It's—it's it's pretty much everywhere. Coaching, coaching changes made no difference. Adding some personnel doesn't really make a difference. It, it just looks like no matter what we do in these circumstances, we're just going to get beat uh, nights in and night in and night out like this because we're just like John Collins almost just put KP in a poster. Like, holy shit! Like, I don't even know what to do right now. You want to go into this agenda so we can possibly talk about something that's going to get you a little bit more hyped? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would love to talk about something that's not the Mavericks right now. All right. Well, let's dive into the agenda for you guys. So we got a couple NFL games to go over in the Week 7 slate. To be quite honest with you, both Kevin and I have looked at all of the games throughout Week 7, and there are not too many games to actually go over. Uh, we, we do have two. So... We will go over the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tennessee Titans game. So, based off of last week, uh, the Chiefs had a comeback win over the Washington football last week. And the Titans had probably one of the more surprising wins of the entire week, winning on Monday night against the Buffalo Bills. And after that, we'll talk about a solid AFC North battle between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, currently, the Ravens are the best team in the AFC at a 5-1 record, but the Bengals are right behind them. When was probably one of the most surprising teams of the year so far in regards to the Bengals, so we'll go over that. And then we'll dive into the possible trade rumors that are circulating around Deshaun Watson at this point. So if you guys haven't heard at this point, um, the reports have stated that potentially that there could have been or could be a trade finalized between the Houston Texans and the Miami Dolphins that would send Deshaun Watson to Miami and would more than likely send to attack of to tech to the Texans. We haven't seen any sort of major development on that yet, but we'll dive into that topic and see whether or not that we believe that it's a trade actually worth pursuing for both teams. And then after that, we'll kick it to the NBA. Uh, the NBA, NBA season just started a day or two ago. So we got a lot of, 
ideas and topics to go over, but we'll go over the New York Knicks first. Uh, we'll talk about just based off of the first game that they had this year where they went into double overtime against the Celtics. We'll just talk about, you know, what are the expectations for the Knicks this year? After that, we'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and they had a solid performance against the Brooklyn Nets in their first game of the year. We'll talk about what do you, we think our chances that we're going to give to the Bucks are to possibly re- repeat as NBA champions. And then we'll round out the episode talking about Ben Simmons. The situation between Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers continues to deteriorate at this point. Um, he's already been suspended for the first game of the year by the 76ers, and he's already been fined close to, if not at, $1.5 million for missing all of the preseason games. Um, it's, it's a really bad situation between Ben and the 76ers at this point. And we'll basically just kind of offer what our best solutions to possibly fix the issues between the 76ers and Ben at this point are. But that is the rundown for the episode. So Kevin, let's dive into this Chiefs and Titans matchup that we have going into week seven. Definitely probably one of the best games of the week in week seven. You got the Chiefs going up against the Titans, which the Chiefs are coming off of a decent road win against the Washington football team last week. They had their struggles in the first half, but they were able to bounce back in a major way in the second half. And then to kick it to the Titans, Titans had probably one of the best wins of the year by being able to beat Buffalo at home in one of the best Monday night football games that we've seen all year. And currently as it is with their records, the Chiefs have a three and three record going into this game and the Titans currently sit at a four and two record. So Kevin, with the Chiefs going up against the Titans this weekend, uh, who do you have winning this game and why? To be honest with you, um, this game is going to be a little weird for me because both teams just have a piece of the pie that the other team doesn't. Um, Derrick Henry, best running back in the league, and then Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback in the league. The passing defense for Tennessee is not phenomenal. The rush defense, or should I say the overall fucking defense of the Chiefs is terrible. So it's a matter of who's going to give up more or who's going to turn the ball over first because it's like on one side of the of one side of the football, Patrick Mahomes is obviously one of the most electrifying playmakers in all the football. He's got the best arm. He's able to extend the play with his feet. But in the negative portion, he has had a whole lot of turnovers in the last couple of weeks, if not the last month or so. So if I had to give an edge, I'm probably going to give it to Tennessee just because Derrick Henry is the best running back in the NFL. And when you run the ball effectively against anybody, you're draining the clock and you're keeping the ball out of Pat's, uh, Pat Mahomes' hand. Two, if you stack the box against Tennessee, Ryan Tannehill is more than a capable enough quarterback to go out there and give the ball to his superstar receivers that are Julio Jones and A.J. Brown in one-on-one coverage. Uh, obviously, it's going to come down to which defense cracks first, or should I say which defense makes a play at the other person's offense? Because let's, let's put it bluntly, if Pat throws an interception or has an interception and a fumble or two picks or whatever have you, if he just kind of tacks on the turnovers, all Tannehill's going to do is just literally hand the ball off. And I know a lot of people make fun of him for it, or a lot of people make fun of the Titans and say they're a one-trick pony. People just can't seem to stop that one fucking trick. You can put nine players in the box, you can hit Derrick Henry five, six, seven times, he's still going to run past you or through you. It doesn't necessarily make a difference. And I think that that's a very big dynamic in the game because they just have a truly unstoppable force in the Tennessee Titans that has Derrick Henry because 
defenses do doing everything that they can. They're stacking the line of scrimmage. They're stacking the box as a whole. They bring the safety in. They have corner blitzes. I mean, they have zone blitzes to try to stall him. It, not, not, Kyle, you played the game. When you're on the offensive line and you're sitting there and you're creating these holes, like there, there's just no stopping a man that's 6'3", 250, and that runs a four five forty. I mean, it, it's, it's an unheard of anomaly. And I know we make jokes about this, but to me, he's – a test tube person. He was made in a laboratory because no one that big should be that fast, but he's just got the full package. And I really do think that Tennessee can squeak away and get some form of redemption against the Chiefs from a few years back in that AFC championship game. Kevin, I'm just going to say something right now. I've been waiting all year for this because... When did you get that jersey? I have had this for a while now. Really? because I have to respect the fact that Patrick Mahomes is just that dude and i gotta stick up for my boy patrick mahomes and you know why because they're gonna get the dub against tennessee this weekend and here's why so it is without saying that kansas city's had their struggles this year there's no doubt about that especially with the fact that they've turned the ball over numerous times throughout the entire season and pat is definitely one of those players that has had turnover issues the entire year. I mean, the guy has eight interceptions already, and he's already exceeded the amount of interceptions that he had the entire year last year. So when you combine all those factors, yeah, I could definitely see why you're definitely siding with Tennessee here. But I have to be honest with you. What I saw from the Chiefs in the second half against that Washington uh, team, I was impressed. They got They got it together. They didn't turn the ball over, and they looked like that Kansas City offense of old where they could march down the field very easily. They were playing solid defense against Washington. Granted, Washington does not have the best offense, but still, they were able to force some turnovers. They were able to get pressure on Taylor Heineke, and it just finally seemed like, okay, like this team is finally getting it together. And I think just that confidence boost going into this game is going to be big for them. Granted, it's going to be a tough battle because Tennessee's at home. They just beat the Bills, who were arguably the best team in the AFC going into that matchup. And Derrick Henry has been unstoppable. So Kansas City is going to have to stack the box. And they're going to have to force Ryan Tannehill to beat them. Because if they don't, Derrick Henry could run roughshod over that Kansas City defense. And it's going to be a long day for Kansas City. But I don't foresee that happening. I think that they are going to be able to mitigate Derrick Henry's effectiveness in this game because they know how good he was against Buffalo, and Buffalo has a pretty solid run defense and a great defense overall. So I think they're going to look at that film. They're going to learn from what the Bills' mistakes were, and I think they're going to limit Derrick Henry to about 100 yards rushing. I still think that he's going to be able to get 100, and I imagine that he's still going to get a touchdown, maybe even two, but I'm going with Pat, my guy. I think Pat has a great game. I don't have any faith in Tennessee to slow them down whatsoever because they gave up 31 points to Josh Allen last week. And as long as Pat Mahomes does not turn the ball over and the offense as a whole doesn't turn the ball over, I think that Kansas City could potentially put up 35, maybe even 38 points in this game. And I just don't think that Tennessee is going to be able to match that. They did that against Buffalo last week. I don't foresee that happening in this game. I think Kansas City, they're going to ride that wave from what they had in the second half against Washington last week, and I think they're going to win this one. I think it's going to be a shootout still. I could definitely see Tennessee getting up into the high 20s, maybe even the low 30s. But I think the uh, I think the Titans 
lose this one because I think Kansas City is just going to put up 35, potentially 38 points. I think it's going to be a shootout, and I think Kansas City gets the dub. Hey, both teams have dynamic playmakers. We all know that those two can change a game individually, let alone, God forbid, they were together. It wouldn't even be fair. Um, but the point of the matter is I just feel very confident in my selection just because if Pat does make that mistake or he tries to fit that ball in that spot that he just can't for whatever reason and they can't convert or they just turn the ball over, you hand the ball off to Derrick Henry, you are legitimately almost guaranteed five to six minutes off the clock every drive. That, that's all they do. I mean, like, I, I'm pretty sure he leads the league in most touches per game. I mean, for God's sakes, he's carried the ball, I think, 30 times, more than two or three times already this season. And sometimes all of the work comes in the second half because people stack the box so much. And then they come out in, in, in the shotgun in the second half. And then they kind of, you know, make that defense honest because they do have viable receivers on the outside in Julio and AJ. So then when you have that spread out and then the defense has to make a choice, okay, are we going to get – beat outside are we going to have derrick henry crush us and nine times out of ten everybody makes the selection for whatever reason to to either spread that defense out or they they just can't stop derrick he's literally an unstoppable force and i don't know what defense can stop him let alone statistically the worst defense in the league on multiple fronts i just don't see it possible but i mean patrick mahomes despite the amount of turnovers that he has he has 18 touchdowns this year so, okay, and a lot of them are from behind. Let me finish. Let me finish. The, the fact that the matter is, is that homeboy's still putting up points. And with Tennessee's defense being pretty bad, I mean, I didn't really see them slow down Josh Allen in that Buffalo offense. Even though that they made the goal line stand at the end of the game against the Bills. I mean, Josh Allen marched that team relatively easily down the field. Yeah, so, I don't know if it was a stand. He slipped going yeah. for a QB sneak on the one, but yeah. So, but, I mean, they put up 30-plus points against Washington, and they looked bad in the first half. Agreed. I mean, if they, if they just have a consistent game, hell, if they even get Daryl Williams involved in the running game, I thought he actually had a solid game when he got touches for Kansas City. If they could run him the ball a little bit more, I think that'll actually work out wonders. Because it at least gives the defense something to respect other than just Pat throwing the ball 35, 40 times. But I like the fact that Kansas City was actually finally able to cause some turnovers last week. That defense really has struggled at turning the ball over. But I think if they get some pass rushes against Ryan Tannenhill and force to throw some questionable balls from him, I think that KC can jump on those and possibly get some interceptions here. So... Like I said, I think it's going to be a close game. I'm not saying that one team or the other is going to smoke the other one. No. But Casey's 3-3. Three and three. They need this one. I'm not saying that the Tennessee doesn't need it, but they're 4-2. and two. They're pretty much head and shoulders above everybody else in the AFC South. But I, I think Casey's going to have the edge in this one just because they cannot fall behind. You know, you got the, the Chargers and the Raiders in the AFC West to contend with. But I do think that that second half performance against Washington, I think it provided a spark, and I think it's going to carry them through this game against Tennessee, and that's why I see them winning. It's definitely going to be probably the game of the week. Like low key, is probably going to be the game of the week, just because like that is going to be two of the best teams in the AFC, two of the best players in the AFC, let alone the NFL as a whole. Um, definitely curious to watch it. The fact that it's a one o'clock game is like beyond me. But I mean, we've talked about this, the scheduling in terms of 
matchups that end up blowing up and then matchups that don't pan out. It, it's a weird, you know what I mean? Like nobody expected the Ravens and the, the, the Raiders to be a, a massive game. Nobody expected the Niners to be this bad and the Colts to be this bad for the Sunday night matchup that's going to be this Sunday. You know what I mean? Like it's very, very intriguing how things panned out. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting Sunday in general for that game alone. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to it. And with that said, we'll transition into our next game that we're going to cover, which will be the Cincinnati Bengals going up against the Baltimore Ravens. Kevin, what do you want to talk about? I, I just, see, I, I thought, I, I, I thought they stopped that rule where if you're coming off of a screen, Trey Young's done this twice already, where he's come off a screen and he's launched himself into somebody or forcible contact to where, of course, the person coming through the screen, his body is going to be attached. But if you're forcing through and throwing your arms up, that's not a foul. And that is literally the second time they've called that to where Tim Hardaway Jr. is probably going to need stitches through his beard because he did that earlier in the game, and both times he was given free throws. So I guess these referee training camps or whatever it is that they had over the last summer, it, it, it must not have worked because they're just they're giving Trey Young whatever the fuck he wants tonight. I'm getting agitated. Oh, well. Oh, well, I just got to work through it. Because I, I remember we were watching the, um, the Knicks game the other day, and I think um... – I think it was Evan Fournier tried to do it against Boston, and they didn't call it. So it's just the crew, bro. It, it, like it just they, they must three. like Trey Young. I guess so. But um, we'll talk about the Cincinnati Bengals going up against the Baltimore Ravens. So going into this matchup, uh, Cincinnati is currently sitting at four and two, and with the Baltimore Ravens sitting at five and one. Really, Cincinnati's kind of been the surprise team of the entire year, and it's really been to the rise of Joe Burrow. And Jamar Chase as well. Jamar Chase, the the rookie pick that they picked up in the NFL draft from last year, it's worked out really well. And then also, I think Joe Mixon has had quite a solid start to the season as well. So 100%. definitely some key playmakers for Cincinnati. But, you know, Lamar Jackson on the other side of the field has been just lighting it up against pretty much any team that he's gone up against. The guy is just sensational, pretty much <laughs> Somewhere in between probably like top three, top four MVP candidates right now early on in the season. So, Kevin, I'll kick the question to you. With this AFC North battle that's going to take place this weekend, who do you favor and why? Well, I mean, I'm just going to go with experience. I'm going to take Baltimore, not because I don't believe the Cincinnati can win, but because Lamar Jackson, A, is on a roll. Baltimore knows how to win against this team. I mean, they're very familiar with one another. Um, and not to mention, I just feel like Lamar and this team uh, on the on the ground are just pretty much unstoppable. I mean, it, it's like we talked about last week, whether it's Latavius Murray, Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, Lamar Jackson. They just genuinely have a four-headed monster, and a lot of them just can't seem to be stopped. And, I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not too keen on the statistics behind Cincinnati's defense, but I'm pretty sure they're not the greatest at stopping the run. So I'm just going to put it out there that I think Lamar Jackson is going to have an overall good game, maybe about 300 total yards or so, maybe about two, three touchdowns. Um, I know that Cincinnati can force turnovers. I know that they're not terrible, so maybe Lamar has a pick. But I don't know. I mean, Joe Burrow has a lot of flashes in which he is spectacular, and then he has a lot of other games where you're sitting here like, wow, you really have two, three picks? Like, why is that? So – uh, Jamar Chase, like you said, is a big playmaker on the side for Cincinnati, and Joe Mixon is a, is a dynamic dual-threat running back that can do it out of the backfield receiving, and he can do it in between and outside the tackles running the football. But 
Now, I'm not taking away from, like I said, Joe Burrow's success this season. I just honestly am leaning towards the veteran leadership of Lamar Jackson and the cast. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a good game. I think it'll be close, maybe about seven, seven points or so. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm leaning with Lamar and the boys to get the victory. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to side with the Ravens in this one because I just don't know how Cincinnati is going to be able to stop that rushing attack that Baltimore has. And, Kevin, we saw last week against the Los Angeles Chargers where you saw Latavius Murray, Devontae Freeman, and Le'Veon Bell all make a solid impact out of the backfield for the Ravens to go along with what Lamar Jackson was doing at the quarterback spot. And not only that, their defense against that Chargers offense, which could put up 30 points against anybody as long as they're making the right plays, they shut the Chargers down to six points and held Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, and Keenan Allen all in check throughout the entire game. And when I look at Cincinnati going into this game against Baltimore, they definitely have playmakers like with Jamar Chase, with Joe Mixon, CJ Uzuma. Like, these guys can play. It's just, I think Baltimore's defense is going to be able to slow them down, and I think they're going to force Joe Burrow into a situation where he could just sit in the pocket, but he's going to have nobody to throw it to. And I think Baltimore could definitely get some coverage sacks based off of that. We saw that against the Chargers last week where they were able to not get sacks against Justin Herbert, like meaning like three or four sacks. They were able to get two against him, but they were able to force him off of his spots, force him to make some bad throws, and they were able to get an interception off him. So I think Joe Burrow is going to have one of those games where it's going to be difficult for him to get into a rhythm because I just think that the Ravens are going to be able to bring constant pressure throughout most of the game. And then you combine that with what Lamar Jackson brings to the table. I think Lamar Jackson could potentially have, you know, maybe 200, 250 yards passing, but I could see him getting 75, possibly 80 yards on the ground if the play breaks down and he extends plays with his feet. So, if you're Cincinnati, you definitely got to focus on containing Lamar Jackson and slowing down that rushing attack and just forcing Lamar Jackson to beat you through the air, which, to be quite honest with you, he could do that too. He was able to do that against Indianapolis a couple weeks ago, but that's the one part of Lamar's game where it is kind of up and down. And if that's Cincinnati's key, they got to focus on trying to make that happen and try to slow him down in the passing game if you force him into a situation where you contain him. So I think the Ravens win this one in a relatively close game. I think it's going to be a one-position game when it's all said and done. This could be a game where I actually don't see a lot of points scored. I'm not saying it's you know it's going to be like 10 to 7 or like 17 to 14. I think it's going to be maybe somewhere around like, I don't know, 27, 21. But I do think that the Ravens get the edge here. And the Ravens would just continue their amazing start to the season. I mean, if they end up beating the Bengals on Sunday, the Ravens would be sitting at 6-1 and one and clearly at the top spot in the AFC. But I'm not going to discount Cincinnati in this one. Cincinnati has the personnel to match up against the Ravens, and they could get the upset as well. But I'm just going to favor Baltimore a little bit more in this one. I just have a little bit more confidence in them than I do with Cincinnati at this point. I think it's going to be a good game. Normally, any matchup against Cincinnati in the past, whether or not that was back in the days of Carson Palmer, haven't been taken too serious. Or should I say since Carson Palmer, have not been taken too serious. So, I mean, 
to see that the Ravens are five and one and Cincinnati is four and two and Pittsburgh's been relatively mediocre this year. I mean, it kind of just shows you the trend in which this division is going. And I mean, it's going up. There's there's no team below five hundred here, and it's kind of crazy how competitive it's been all throughout the season. And I'm literally just sitting here and I'm looking at Zach Taylor because I'm like, you know what? You have really gathered the troops together. You've made the adjustments with the weak offensive line. For the most part, you've stood relatively healthy. And the draft pick in Jamar Chase has really panned out. Like Kyle said, he's almost, I think he's fourth or fifth in, in, in receiving yards in the, in the entire NFL. He's top, he's top so, five. So we're sitting here and we're talking about not only is he in the top five receiver category statistically, but is he in the top uh, you know, statistical category for a rookie of the year? So, you know, it's, it's going to be a good game. I mean, if Joe Burrow can minimize the turnovers and they can control the time of possession, uh, maybe make life just a smidge difficult for Lamar Jackson to really force him to throw that football. I agree with Kyle completely. It is possible for Cincinnati to win. But again, just because of the veteran presence of Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh being the veteran head coach that he is, um, I do think that Baltimore will win this game. But if Cincinnati does win, it's not going to be a surprise, at least to me. No, and I think really the best way that Cincinnati can win is they got to find some way to keep Baltimore under 150 yards rushing because if Baltimore gets into a situation where their offensive line is winning the line of scrimmage, where they're winning those one-on-one battles up front, it's just going to create lane spaces for those running backs, whoever it is, out of Baltimore's backfield to make plays happen. And if Cincinnati can't do that, then it's going to be a long day for Cincinnati. But... I do think that Cincinnati, if they're able to contain that rushing attack to a certain extent and force Lamar into some situations where he's got to beat Cincinnati by throwing the ball, you got to favor that option just a smidge more than what he could do breaking out of the pocket and being able to set up dynamic plays for himself when he's extending plays with his feet. So defensively, this is going to be really tough for Cincinnati to be able to contain literally four guys in Lamar Jackson, Devontae Freeman, Latavius Murray, and Le'Veon Bell. And not only that, you got Duvernay as well. So, I mean, it is a full running back committee in Baltimore. But do I think that Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, that they could be the difference makers offensively for Cincinnati? Yeah, I think they can. It's just that Baltimore defense played outstanding against LA last week. I mean, to be able to hold Justin Herbert to probably one of his worst performances in his young career at this point, that is definitely a high mark that I got to give to Baltimore's defense because I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting the Chargers to potentially put up 30 points against them. So yeah, It's no that, small feat for sure. No, so I mean, not to discredit Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow's had a very good start to the season. It's just that I think Justin Herbert's a step above him. And the fact that Justin Herbert wasn't able to get in any sort of rhythm against that Baltimore defense. If Joe Burrow's getting pressured like Justin was, it's going to be a tough day for Cincinnati, in my opinion. Yeah, no, definitely couldn't agree. But speaking of tough days, um, the Miami Dolphins front office just seems to be having a lot of these issues lately where the team is not only performing, or excuse me, the team is just not performing. They're continuing to look at different options uh, in terms of the trade market. And now we're sitting here, we're talking about the same thing we were talking about back in the summertime. And that was the potential move for Deshaun Watson. Uh, Kyle, I know you have an agenda question set up, but before we get into it, I, I, I had to ask you, man, like, what is the point of any of this? Like, I, it's just, 
Miami's one in five. Deshaun Watson hasn't touched the field. These cases are still kind of pending right now, literally like a transaction. We have no idea what direction they're going. There's no break in the cases of leaning towards a settlement, going into putting him into jail time or an NFL suspension. So is this going to help or hinder Miami's ability to figure out what the hell's going on? Well, I don't think it's really going to help in the short term, but I think it could help in the long term. Because whatever happens with Deshaun Watson off the field, which is... You know, that's a shitload of cases that he's got to deal with. I mean, I think the guy is up to up to like two dozen sexual assault allegations from up to like 20 to 25 women. Like, it's a lot of counts against him. But I think it's something that, by and large, he'll probably serve a suspension at some point. And then after he serves the suspension, he'll be good to go. So if you're looking at it from, a, from Miami's standpoint, you're probably going to play the long game in this one. You know, you'll take the hit this year just because, let's be honest, the season's already kind of lost for Miami at this point. Tua's been out with injured ribs since early on in the season. Jacoby Brissett has played modest football, but it's not resulting in wins. And I just don't really see Miami going anywhere significant this year. They could potentially end up with a top five draft pick when it's all said and done. So when I look at Miami's front office, I can understand the appeal of going for Deshaun Watson simply because, okay, depending on how these sexual assault cases go, more than likely it's probably going to end in some sort of settlement. The NFL will probably suspend him for a certain amount of games. I don't know if they're going to suspend him for the entire season, but they're definitely going to suspend him for some off-the-field conduct policy issue. So I think Miami, if they just play this out long enough and they just kind of bide their time, I mean, they could potentially have a superstar quarterback when it's all said and done if this trade actually gets finalized. But, Kevin, it's like the reports stated, though. There were a lot of people saying that this trade could be finalized by the end of the week. Well, we're already at the end of the week. And there really hasn't been any sort of major movement on saying, yeah, like there's a finalized trade piece or there's a trade deal going here. And it's more likely than not that we we won't hear anything on this trade potentially involving Deshaun Watson until next week. So I don't know really how it's going to go. It's it's a tricky situation just because you don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun off the field. I think that's the most pressing issue at this point. But talking strictly about football here, if you have the chance to add someone like Deshaun Watson to the roster and you got to trade Tua to do it, I understand it. I definitely understand it from the X's and O's standpoint, but you know, the guy could get potentially suspended for what he did off the field. And if you're willing to take that hit, so be it. When he settles those cases, probably serves a suspension. I don't know how long it'll be. You got a potentially top 10 quarterback in the league. And I do think that it is a better option than what Tua currently presents for them. But that's pretty much how I see it. So Kevin, I'll kick it to you from here. So I'm looking at it a little bit more in the short term, right? Miami's one in five. Tua Tungavailoa has not played a full NFL season. Brian Flores is coming off of a 10-6 and six season. The Miami Dolphins GM did not necessarily make a lot of moves. They let a lot of players walk in free agency, and they cut a lot of players to create cap. They had to go through the entire Xavier Howard situation this whole offseason. I mean, like, you name it, they had a lot of problems from top to bottom organizationally. Um, and I'm just looking at this like, 
I'm trying to figure out what the hell happened from last year to this year. Now, for you to give up on a quarterback so young, somebody you've literally waited for basically the entireness of his career in Alabama, you were praying that he fell to you, and he did. To give up on him to go and get somebody that is literally not going to play for you for the foreseeable future, there's no indication of how long a suspension is going to be. There's no indication of when this stuff is going to be settled. So, okay, you pull the trigger hypothetically before the November 2nd trade deadline. What if Deshaun misses the rest of this season and all of next season? That is a year and a half that Tua could have been getting better, developing, getting more in tune with the offense. You could have had a coaching change. You could have had a personnel change. But you're taking a gamble on someone that may not touch the floor for the foreseeable future. It just doesn't make sense to me. Not to mention, you know it's not just going to be a quarterback swap. You're going to have to give up future assets because you are trading for the player, the potential of a top-five quarterback in the NFL when healthy and, of course, when available to play. So you know that they're going to have to trade away multiple first-round picks, maybe some personnel on their team, maybe Xavier Howard, maybe Byron Jones. I have no idea what the packages are going to be because, obviously, things have changed from the summertime to now. But I'm just looking at Miami's front office and saying, this has got to be a joke. You're literally canning Tua. And you're just going to walk away from it and just say, well, we're just going to go get a guy that might not play for two years. Like, it's, to me, it doesn't make sense, both logically and then player-wise. Like, it just, what is trading Tua going to do? What if Deshaun Watson never touches the court again? What if uh, the field again? Like, genuinely, what if those cases go and last for years and years and years? We're talking 20-plus individual cases. That's probably a lot of settlements. That's probably a lot of court dates. That's probably a whole lot of legal money and issues and a distraction. Do you really want to bring that baggage in? Tua's been hurt for the majority of his career anyway. So the games that he was available or like on the roster, he was on the injured reserve. Is that necessarily completely his fault? Not really. The offensive line has been questionable for the last two years. They're not really established in the run. They have a pretty, pretty much a committee back there. Devontae Parker has been in and out of the lineup, so your number one receiver has been pretty much inconsistent also. And then the defense has been god-awful this year. So the time of possession is skewed. So two is always playing from behind. Granted, they lost to the Jaguars last week, but he still had over 300 and some odd yards. He had two touchdowns. He had a bad interception, granted. It was an absolute atrocious play. But quarterbacks make that. When you don't have the experience, yeah, it's going to happen. So I'm thinking Miami's willing to throw the two experiment basically in the entire garbage to, for the potential of Deshaun Watson. If there was a date, if there was an estimate, if there was a timeline in this, I would say pull the trigger because you, then you have an idea of how long you're going to suck. But the fact that all of this is still basically in the winds and up in the air, just it doesn't bode well with me to see that the front office and the organization is just going to give up on a player that fast. It's just a tricky situation altogether. But I think Miami would be smart to possibly make this move, even despite the fact that there is a lot of unknowns on what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson's availability. And, I mean, look, you know, when you look at this from a bigger perspective, you know, obviously what Deshaun did off the field, allegedly, that's a lot of cases against him. And more than likely, the way that I see that playing it out is they're going to work on some sort of settlement. I don't know if it's going to be upgraded or possibly elevated to the point where he's facing criminal charges, you know, where he could potentially face jail time. If that's the case then I don't think Miami should make that move, but we don't really know about that at this point. So if there's criminal court proceedings, I think Miami should stay away. But if there's not, if this is mostly just civil court proceedings, well, they'll make the settlement. The NFL will probably levy some sort of suspension against Deshaun. And then after that, 
he's good to go. I mean, we've seen players. Like, I'll give you an example. Antonio Brown was one where he was doing some outlandish things on his own time when it was in the offseason. You know, he served multiple suspensions. Yet, he's currently playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Even Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman got into a, an altercation with, I think, one of his ex-girlfriend or his girlfriend, where I think he got charged for some sort of, like, domestic violence burglary, where he, I think he broke into his own house, essentially. But, you know, the, the, the cops got called and he got arrested for it. And now you're looking at Deshaun Watson, where, you know, the guy has two dozen cases against him for some sort of sexual misconduct, uh, sexual assault charges, whatever you want to call it. And we don't know how it's going to play out, but I think more likely than not, he's going to be on the field at some point. So it's not unprecedented to me what's going on with Deshaun. We've seen players have sexual assault issues and they work through them. They work through them with the court. They work through it with the NFL with some sort of suspension and they eventually end up back on the field. Now, this is not like a situation where I think Deshaun Watts is going to get the treatment of like John Gruden did, where he said some mean things in some emails and got fired and is basically getting essentially canceled because of what he said in those emails. So, but Deshaun Watson goes out and, you know, has this behavior with women or therapists that he had that he got off of Instagram. You know, there's two dozen women. And he's still going to be able to play. You know, it's just, they're going to have to bide their time. And I think if Miami plays this smart, they just simply wait this out. If they want to pull the trigger for the trade, go for it. You know, he's probably, more than likely, Deshaun Watson is going to end up on, like, the commissioner's, like, suspension list. Commissioner's and, exempted the play list or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, yeah, whatever it's called. And, you know, they'll just wait it out. That's how I kind of see this playing out. Like I said, we got, what, a week and change? Yeah, I mean, they said that eventually that this trade would probably be finalized by the end of the week. I mean, we're here. Well, no, I was talking about the deadline. It's November 2nd, so that's... Yeah, it's the first week of November. Yeah, so that's... Halloween is on Sunday, so that means this is going to last until Tuesday. If Miami decides to pull the trigger before we have any indication of anywhere of this... uh, You know what I'm saying? Like... Unless Miami has insight on Deshaun's legal cases that are not yet available to the national media, like if Miami's private investigator, whatever, is like in tuned with understanding that they're coming close to a settlement and it pans out, then kudos to them. But until then, if I'm the GM of Miami, I'm letting Tua rock. I'm letting him figure it out. I'm letting this coaching staff either go or I'm just, excuse me. Oh my God, horrible hiccup. I'm just letting this ride out. We're already one in five. He needs the reps. I mean, God knows how much time it's going to take to get him acclimated since he's been hurt for the majority of his professional career. Do you, do you pull the trigger when you know nothing about it and you've given him what, maybe a total of nine games, eight games. I mean, last year he came in early, but he was subbed in and out for Fitzpatrick. He missed three or four games this season. So I don't even think he's played double digit games yet. Jalen Hurts is in the same fucking boat. There's this odd feeling that I get with Miami that I think they tried with him, but it's like if the guy didn't perform to a certain expectation that the organization had, that if there was somebody available, meaning somebody like Deshaun Watson came available on the market, they would have no hesitation for pulling the trigger to get rid of Tua. I don't want to say that 
Tua was dealt a bad hand from the beginning. But it seems like Miami is very quick to let this guy go without really letting him develop whatsoever. And I do think to Tua, that's you're kind of doing a disservice to Tua in that regard. And not only that, you're not protecting him well. He's getting hit. He's been injury riddled throughout his early career so far. And I think I think Miami's kind of looked at the situation as like, well, the guy's hurt. He's not really performing to our expectations. So let's cut our losses right now and let's go get Deshaun because we know what we're going to get with Deshaun as far as on the field goes. But off the field, you have no idea. And is it worth the risk? I think if you're Miami, if you just be patient for the next year or so, it could work out wonders for them. Because I tell, I tell you right now, once Deshaun works his way through this stuff, if he does, I mean, the guy could potentially be the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, possibly at some point next year. And he's going to have some good targets to throw to if they could stay healthy. So, I, I mean, it would be a game changer for the Dolphins once Deshaun works through the, these issues and ends up suiting up on Sundays. But There's too many question marks right now. We could, we could do speculation Sundays yeah. all day. Yeah, but it's, it's like you said, it's just a lot of unknowns at this point, and we don't know whether or not that these proceedings regarding Deshaun could go into a criminal element. If that's the case, where this guy is essentially screwed, possibly going to jail for this stuff, or prison, I don't think it's worth it. But, you know, what do I know? You know, I'm not a lawyer. You know, I'm not, I don't work in the criminal justice system. But, you know, the, the, these cases have been going for a while now. Like, the, these proceedings have taken a while. So I, I wouldn't expect these to get done anytime soon. I mean, it'll probably get done at some point, either the end of this year or maybe uh, early next year. But we don't really know at this point. And we Houston know nothing about it. And Houston has not even said anything about putting him on the field at this point. And I wouldn't expect him to at this point. No, no reason to at this point. You're holding on to your asset. I mean, because if, if he's hurt, you got to pay him. And you can't trade him. So they'd be stuck with that. Yeah, but I mean, it's just one of those situations where I think this is just one where you just sit on your hands and wait if you actually go trade for him. Yeah, because don't really have do, much of a choice. If you do? Okay, good on you, but it's like you know it's going to be a while before you see him. But once he gets back, yeah, he could be dynamite for them. I can't rule that out. But, you know, with that said, we'll wrap up the NFL portion of the podcast with that. And we're going to transition into some NBA discussions. So we've got a couple of those discussions for you guys. Uh, we're going to talk about the Knicks a little bit. We'll talk about the Bucks, and we'll talk about Ben Simmons. So first things first, we'll start with the New York Knicks. Uh, the New York Knicks had a solid home win in their first game of the season against the Boston Celtics. It was a game that went to double overtime. So I imagine that the anxiety was on some sort of heightened level with the Knicks fans, because I don't think they were expecting a game to go into double overtime the first game of the season, but it was still a phenomenal game overall. And they're currently sitting at one and zero to start the season. So Kevin, I'll kick this to you. Granted, we're only one game into the season so far. But just how excited do you think Knicks fans should be for the Knicks going into this season? Let's let's be honest, right? New York Knicks basketball is probably one of the most exciting times of the year for the entire city of New York. No matter what borough you're a part of, no matter what fucking set, what whatever, you know what I'm saying? The Knicks bring New York together. And I saw it all over my timeline. 
when the Knicks do good, New York does better. Like overall as, as a unit, when the Knicks are winning and where the Knicks are good, it's good for the NBA and it's good for the city. So I'm looking at this team and how it's constructed, right? Kemba Walker's on this team. You re-sign Derrick Rose. You go out there and you freaking go and get Evan Fournier, who I will admit I was a little bit hesitant and questionable, but then he goes out and performs the way that he did. Julius Randle, uh, your most improved player from last season, he goes out there and he performs as well. And the team goes out there and gets a win against the semi-decent Boston Celtic team, right? Obviously, Jalen Brown popped off for 46 points. Jason Tatum had a very off night, but that was in high regards because R.J. Barrett played phenomenal defense on him throughout the integrity of the game. So I'm just looking at a box score, right? Let's just go over the numbers. Julius had 35. Mitchell had 11 in his first game back. He did not miss a shot from the field. Granted, he missed some free throws. He could have had potentially 15 points, but he had 17 rebounds, and he had two blocks. So very efficient basketball from their big man that they missed big time last season. Kemba Walker had 10. Three of eight from the field, played a lot of minutes, wasn't really doing much on the offensive side, but he did go in out there and he did grab eight rebounds. Surprisingly, he grabbed eight rebounds. And he only had three assists, but again, Kemba Walker played effective. Evan Fournier goes out there, drops 32. RJ Barrett goes out there, drops 19. Obi Toppin comes off the bench and he drops 14. Derek Rose, an off night, three of 11. He goes out there and drops nine. And the clutch go-ahead basket, or should I say the advancing basket, to put the Knicks up four in OT. So I'm just looking at this and I'm saying, very collective win. Terrible defense, so they need to work on it. Tom Thibodeau is not known for giving up a lot of points like this. Obviously, last season in the postseason, they gave up quite a bit to Atlanta. So just some adjustments to make there. But overall, I'm just looking at this team as it's constructed. And I'm not too disappointed. I'm not really upset. I mean, they have a great and well-rounded team that could go and make a run in the postseason. Now, again, it's game one. I'm not going to go out there and say that the Knicks are going to be a top five, top three seed in the Eastern Conference, but this is a good start. It was a gritty, tough, and long game that the city didn't know it needed, and the city erupted. Granted, I'm not home, but I have enough friends on social media to know that the garden outside was electrifying. For God's sake, side talk NYC, for those of you that aren't aware. Everything surrounding Madison Square Garden was just popping off with Knicks shit. Knicks fans talking shit, being drunk, being obnoxious, having fun. Again, the city just is heightened when the Knicks do good. So overall, I think this is a good win. They do have a lot to improve of in terms of, you know, efficiency. They did have a decent amount of turnovers in the game. If I'm not mistaken, they had 17, so something they could also kind of draw back on. But again, Jalen had 46. So that is a very, very, very important factor here. He almost had 50, and the Knicks won by four. So the Knicks really need to figure out this defensive adjustment before we go out there and start crowning anything in this Eastern Conference. Kyle, I know you got a lot to say. I know you got a lot of shit talking. So the floor is 100% yours, do you think? All right. So my issue is not with the Knicks. I think the Knicks are – I think they're going to be a top five seed in the Eastern Conference this year. I have that much faith in this team simply just because when I look at this roster that consists of R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, Evan Fournier, Kevin Walker, and Derrick Rose, and Obi Toppin as well. I'll be honest with you, Kev. That's a solid rotation to run going into this season. And I do think that the Knicks are going to be able to score points fairly easy this year, as long as they're knocking down their shots on a consistent basis. And I think if they just really continue the momentum that they had from last season, granted it didn't end well because they got smacked by the Hawks, in the first round of the playoffs last year. 
I think if they just learn from their mistakes that they had in the playoffs, I think they'll be fine. I could see them possibly getting to maybe the second round of the playoffs this year, as long as they play good in the playoffs. So I think offensively, I'm not really worried about what they're going to do. I know with Tom Thibodeau at the head coaching role for them, he's one of the better defensive coaches, if not one of the best defensive coaches that the league has to offer. So I imagine this was just the first game, trying some things out with personnel groupings. They'll work those issues out. And I don't expect them giving up over 130 points in games moving forward. They might have some bad games here and there, but I think more than likely they'll probably give up somewhere between maybe like 95 to maybe like 105 points a game moving forward. But it's like I said, my issue is not with the Knicks here. It is with their fans. Their fans are utterly ridiculous. So Kevin, you mentioned that, uh, that side talk video or side swipe thing, whatever was featuring all of the Knicks fans after they left the Madison square garden after winning against Boston the other day, these dudes are just living in a fantasy world. Like basically they assert themselves as like the center of the universe and everything revolves around them and they don't want to hear anything outlandish against the Knicks. They'll go out there and say, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here. They'll go out there and say, Oh, you know, the Knicks are the best fucking team in New York and nobody ever talks about the Brooklyn Nets. Like, we don't want to hear that shit. Like, I know that's not really my best impression of, like, a New Yorker. Yeah. Not really, not really from New York, but it's just so annoying to hear. It's like, yeah, fuck Brooklyn. Like, we don't want to hear that shit. Like, the Knicks run fucking New York, and if anybody says different, they could have a problem with us. I'm like, dude, the Knicks have been largely irrelevant since, what, the 70s? The last time the Knicks won an NBA title was in 73. Kevin, my dad was 10 years old when that happened. And in my lifetime, when have the Knicks been relevant outside of Mello? They haven't. Maybe they had the run in the 90s, maybe in the late 90s. That was it when they had Patrick Ewing. Outside of that, they have been one of the worst franchises in modern NBA history. And I imagine that... What, New York Knicks fans just completely forgot about that because they had one good year? Granted, they had a good year last year. And I give credit to the Knicks for being able to, you know, ride the wave that they have with these young guys on the roster and be able to make something of themselves. And I imagine that's going to continue. But the Knicks fans going out here and saying, oh, the Knicks are back. New York's back. Anybody that's got a problem with it, you know, they can go fuck off. Like, okay, whatever. I'm like, You've been largely irrelevant for over two to three, even potentially four to five decades. You have one good season, and it's like, oh, yeah, we just completely forgot about that. I'm like, I can't accept that. I'm like, you guys are like literally talking trash because you had one good year and you beat an average, maybe above average Celtics team. In my opinion, you know, the Knicks are a good team, but the Nets are the best team in New York. Like, they got Kevin Durant. They have James Harden. I don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie, but we'll see. It's just that the main attraction for me when it comes to New York City basketball teams is the Brooklyn Nets, just because I think they're going to be able to do more this year. I think the Nets have a very good chance to win the NBA Finals this season. The Knicks ain't winning the Finals this year. It's not happening. I don't want to hear anything about, oh, the Knicks are going straight to the Finals after winning one game. 
I'm like, they're talking shit about Tom Brady because he was affiliated with Boston for 20 years, but he's in Tampa now. I mean, Tom Brady has won four championships since any team from New York has won a championship. I think the last team from New York to win a championship was the Giants back in 2011. Brady's won four, so I don't even want to hear it. Like, you guys are just talking smack. Like, it's not even effective. You guys are just talking just to talk. It's a waste of breath, in my opinion. But it's like I said, my issue is not with the Knicks. The Knicks are a very good team, in my opinion, and they need to be respected for that. But these fucking fans, I hate to curse here. It, honestly, I think they're one of the worst fan bases just because they live in an alternate reality, man. They just don't, they don't fit in with reality. The fact of the matter is Brooklyn's a far better team than the Knicks could ever be. And that's despite the fact that I think the Knicks are a good team. It's just, I think the Nets are head and shoulders above them. So that's me airing it out. You know, if people got a problem with that, they are more than welcome to chime in and let me hear about it. So I don't want to hear anything about my bad New York impression. You know, that was bad. I'll, I'll kind of say that, but you know, that's pretty much how I feel about, you know, not the Knicks. The Knicks are a good team, but their fans, bro, they got to chill. Hey, I'm not saying nothing in regards to your New York accent. I thought it was funny, so I'm not really gonna gonna comment on that one. I'm I'm happy I was able to witness that firsthand. So I'm just like, I went for it. It's my impression, you know. It's a work in progress, but we'll see what happens. Hey, but, listen, listen, listen. Me and Nick fans got our fair share of beef because of the whole Porzingis trade. So trust me, I've come at them sideways when I had my own podcast. I've talked about them when we had when made our when we had made our podcast official. So, you know, I support the Knicks because it's the hometown team. And, again, the vibes are immaculate with the Knicks win. So that's that's just the truth. But, again, I have my own qualms with them. So I'm not really going to harp on that. Obviously, we have plenty of other things to talk about. So, I mean, you know, the Knicks got their dub. Congratulations. Yeah. It's game one of 82. We shall see if it progresses throughout the rest of this year. And I hopefully, free all it does. I just know that people are going to look sideways at what I said. I already and that's know. fine. That and is you know, fine. And you know what? I'm right here. I'm hey, right here. we we I'm here right for here. the hot takes, man. I've said some questionable oh, shit it's not, too. Oh it's, oh, it's not a hot take. It's what everybody knows. Everybody knows that those fans are fucking obnoxious, bro. I mean, I, bro, I wasn't surprised in that video I saw on Twitter that that they weren't taking shots at Henny on the streets of New York after that game. I'm, I was kind of surprised by that, just because. I mean, Kevin, we've seen it before. What's up? Uh, hey, what's, what, what's Spider Cuzzo? What's the guy's name? Spider Cuz. Yeah, I'm surprised he wasn't. In, yeah, yeah, I'm surprised he wasn't in the mix. You know, handing that henny bottle around to the fans that were leaving Madison Square Garden. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not. I'm not saying that as a stereotype. It's like no, that's like actually what happens. Like this guy, like in a Spider-Man suit, is like <laughs> walking along the streets of, of New York City, just saying, just in Tim's in a Yankee hat. <sighs> Bro, the stereotypes, they just, like, bro, the stereotypes just, they, they play out for themselves. I don't have to say anything. Like, it's just. Ugly. I love where I come from. I'm, <laughs> it's a part of the culture. I ain't mad at it. Listen, that, that, that page, if you're not following it, Side Talk NYC, y'all need to follow it. It's hilarious. Listen, if you don't understand New York humor, you're not going to get it. If you like just city comedy of New York or just people acting a fool, it's great, bro. I love that page. I, I have to just make this final point. And, bro, you can't tell me any different. The bar has been set so low for Knicks fans because they've played like shit over the last couple decades. They have one good year, and they instantly think 
that they're like the hottest team. They're the best team in the NBA, and they don't want to hear anything different. So this is where I'm disagreeing, bro. Every season they come with this energy, bro. Every season. Bro, they're like Cowboys fans. Like in that regard, it's like they they win one game. It's like, oh yeah, we we back in it. Oh, you know the city's on top. You know I don't want to hear anything different. But it's like, bro, like it's one game. Like, dude, that's New York though. And you know what? It's a waste of breath. I'm like, bro, you gotta let the the season play, bro. If they get to the finals and they win something, okay, I get that. Then you can finally chirp. You can say whatever the hell you want at that point. And, I, and I'll say this. Since they mentioned Tom Brady, Patriots fans could talk that shit because they won six Super Bowls while he was there. It's like, yeah, you could hate on Tom all you want. Homeboy won, though. You know, I know Patriot fans, they definitely kind of walked around with a cocky and arrogant attitude when we were winning. But I don't really see them doing that now when he's gone. But with Nick fans, it's like one good year. They win one game against Miami. Not Miami, against Boston. And, bro, it's like they're the center of the universe. Everything revolves around them. Listen. I I, I find it comical. I really do find it comical. I'm just going to tell you one thing and one thing only, bro. You will never, ever be able to tell a true New Yorker they're wrong. You understand understand where I'm coming from, though, right? I do understand where you're coming from. But I also know as a Yankee fan, when the Yankees win big, no matter what point of the year it is, I'm hyped. And that's just how it is for – that's how it is for all New York sports, bro. That's Especially, just what it is, bro. You win, and it's like, yo, we on top, bro. We back. Yeah, 13 game win streak, bro. I thought we were about to go to the fucking World Series. Look at what we did. It, it doesn't make a difference. We ride the wave. We get upset. We go pack up. Oh, my God, I love the Knicks. I'm going to die for the Knicks. Knicks tape. And then it's like, yo, what the fuck is going on with this organization? God damn it, James Dolan. I hate you. So, you know what I'm saying? It is what it is with the Knicks fans. I understand it. I respect it. I'm the same way with my teams. So it is what it is. I'm also a native New Yorker, so that's why I am the way that I am. But I genuinely but, understand it. But listen, I like the humor in it. Like, there's entertainment value for it with me. So it's like, <laughs> there's a part of me that just kind of wants to see the Knicks keep winning so I could just keep seeing this outlandish stuff. Because I know in the end, they're gonna have their hearts broken. I as good. Just, as leave, the Knicks, just leave them alone, man. Let them as, have it. As good as the Knicks are, bro, they ain't beating Brooklyn. They ain't listen. Brooklyn. I'm just sorry. let sorry. them have it. Let them have it. All right. All right. Let it be. We got other things to talk about. All right. So up next, we're gonna talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Kevin, I know that was a long segment, so I'm sorry we kind of dragged that out. That's but fine. We'll move on. We'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, they had a pretty solid win against the Brooklyn Nets in their first game of the year. They got their championship rings, got the championship ceremony. And I imagine everybody in Milwaukee had a grand old time having that ceremony and being able to see those guys get their championship rings. So, granted, I don't know how it's going against the Miami Heat tonight. Looks like they're... Smoke. Yeah, so, granted, they're not playing that well tonight. But still, I think the Bucks are probably one of the best teams to contend with in the Eastern Conference. So, Kevin, I'm going to kick the question to you. With the Bucks going into this season as the NBA championships or the NBA champions, excuse me, where do you see the Bucks going this season? Do you think that they have a solid chance to possibly repeat as NBA champions, or do you think they're going to fall short in that regard? 
I mean, we talked about it in our segment about who we believe is going to come out of the Eastern and Western Conference. Obviously, we both chose Milwaukee to potentially come out unless it does end up being Brooklyn. Um, For the record, once again, Brooklyn is missing one of its biggest pieces in Kyrie Irving, so we do not know if that would have changed the momentum of the game. But I'm just saying, for what I saw... That night when the Knicks, excuse me, when the uh, the Nets played the Bucks, it just looked like an overall just Milwaukee road, that hype train of really uh, unveiling the banner, getting the ring. I mean, Giannis just looked unstoppable. I mean, he damn near shot 50% from the field. He had seven assists. He had 14 boards. I mean, the former two-time MVP, finals MVP, and NBA champion just was able to do it pretty much on every facet of the floor. He was even able to block two shots. And again, I, I, I really like the way Milwaukee plays basketball. I mean, the team is just great. They all evenly contributed. Dante DiVincenzo isn't even back yet. So it's like this team added Grayson Allen, who's a pesky defender and a decent shot creator as well. So, I mean, overall, this team is only going to develop with more and more chemistry. And they do have the potential to run it back. I don't really see many teams that could outright just destroy the um the Milwaukee Bucks outside of Brooklyn and again if Kyrie ends up not playing the season for the vaccination mandates that's going to hinder Brooklyn's offensive ability and that's also going to keep them from making any mid-season acquisitions because the books are tied up between three major players so it really depends on what's going to end up happening out there across the bay in the other borough of of New York but uh, I liked what I saw I love the intensity. Giannis looked very confident in the shots that he did take. Granted, he was only one of four from the three-point line, but he was seven of nine from the free throw line. So again, a continued improvement for him. And we're just going to have to see how the season plays out. But Milwaukee looked good. I definitely wouldn't be surprised if they come out. And I'm happy as hell that that ring ceremony went the way that it did. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Bucks definitely have a very good shot of possibly repeating as NBA champions, simply just because... When you got Giannis playing like he did against the Nets in the first game of the year, bro, he was going after dudes' heads. Like, he was making plays happen. He was, bro, the fact that he was distributing the ball well as a power forward, getting seven assists, that's impressive to me. I mean, I always know that he's going to be able to score points at will. He's going to be able to rebound the ball very effectively. But those seven assists, that was probably the most surprising stat line to me. And... Kevin, I mean, we've mentioned this before. We have seen Giannis take a progression as far as his mid-range game or just his overall jump shot. So I think if he can able to work out that jump shot even better than what it was last year, that's going to be a very tough guy to stop. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's at the top of the MVP list at the end of the year. And when I look at the Bucks overall, when you got Chris Middleton, who's a solid two-way player, you got Drew Holiday, who's one of the best two-way guards in the league. And then when you have role players like Pat Connaughton, Jordan Nawara, Grayson Allen, and Brooke Lopez, it's a solid rotation to run. It's just, when I look at the Bucks overall, though, and I compare it to the Brooklyn Nets, I, I actually have the Nets as my favorite uh, to win the finals this year. I just don't know how that the Bucks are going to be able to contend with the Nets because the Nets last year, I truly believe this. They felt like that they could beat the Bucks from last year. And literally they were a foot away from getting to the Eastern conference finals last year. But Katie's foot was on the line for that potential three point shot at the end of the game. And they went to overtime and they ended up losing it. I imagine that the Nets are still bitter about that. 
And that's why I kind of favored the Nets to kind of bounce back, use that redemption to get over the Bucks if they have a potential series between both of them. And I just, I give the edge to the Nets, but I will say this. The Bucks are going to be at it the entire season. And I do think that if they can continue their success from last year, especially on the defensive side of the ball, because defensively, they are a very well-rounded team. And offensively, in the regular season, they could score at will, but in the playoffs, they kind of had their issues. But I think if they just focus on what they could do defensively and try to slow down that Nets offense, if they're able to get into a situation where they're in a playoff series, it could definitely bode well for Milwaukee moving forward. So I have them as like a top two, top three team in the Eastern Conference. Honestly, I should say just top two, because I don't think that there's another team above both Brooklyn and Milwaukee at this point in the Eastern Conference. So it's really going to come down between the Nets and the Bucks, in my opinion, this year. And I definitely think that if the Bucks play their cards right, they could definitely make it to the finals again and possibly repeat as champions. I just give a slight edge to the Nets, though. That's just how I see it. Yeah, I don't blame you. It's, it's realistically the top two teams in the Eastern Conference. Both of them have the capabilities and the playmakers to go out there and make a run. Um, again, Kyrie Irving is missing in Brooklyn. That does make a detrimental difference both on the offensive end and just kind of the overall player morale with the distraction that he's bringing to the locker room. So, again, like we've said for the last couple of segments, we only time will tell and we'll just have to let the season play on. But, of course, at this point, Milwaukee's still the defending champion. They have some great pieces. And uh, who's to say we would be surprised if they were to do it again this year? But, bro, I just saw the score uh, to that Miami game. Bro, they're getting smacked. Washed. Watch. It's, like, it's like a 40-point game. Yeah, watch. Like, I don't know what's going on. It, it, watch. It, it, listen, it's the second game of the year, and it's like, it, it's just a bad game. It really yeah. just is a bad game. There's no, there's no other way to say it, but it's like, yeah. I'm not going to define them off of one game, but I do think that overall, you know, the Bucks are going to be at it for the, for the entire season. I think they're going to be, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up getting the number one seed again. I wouldn't be surprised. We'll have to see because, you know, Brooklyn's not just going to roll over and let them uh, and just let them take over the conference. No. And when it comes to the playoffs, if they end up facing against each other again, it's going to be a hell of a series, my guy. Oh, yeah. There's definitely uh, pent up aggression from last season series and how it ended. And once again, James Harden was hurt. Kyrie did not play either because he was hurt. So um, a lot of things missing last season. So Brooklyn is looking to redeem themselves and kind of make a name for themselves and see if they can go out there and compete for a title as well. So. A lot to be left unseen, or should I say, a lot to be left seen in this uh, in this NBA season as early as it is. I imagine Katie's still bitter about that, but that's for another day. So exactly. With that said, we will transition into our last segment of the episode, and we are going to focus on Ben Simmons and the ongoing saga between him and the Philadelphia 76ers. So Ben has been in the headlines tremendously over the last couple of days. He did report to the 76 practice a couple days ago, but there was a situation that took place in practice where Doc Rivers and the coaching staff wanted Ben to be a part of a defensive drill, and Ben said, no, I'm not going to do that. They asked him again. He said no, and Doc Rivers and the coaching staff said, all right, grab your stuff, and you can leave. So because of that, Ben was suspended for the opening game for the 76ers on top of the... $1.4, $1.5 million fine that the 76ers levied against Ben for missing all four of their preseason games. And 
the situation has really reached a point where it may be in a point where it's not solvable at this point. But Kevin, I'm going to pose this question to you. Granted, this is a heavy ongoing situation between both Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers organization and his own teammates. But I got to ask you, what do you think the best solution is to fix the issues between the 76ers and Ben at this point? I mean, listen, there's nothing to fix. Philadelphia needs to trade him or just ban him from the facilities. He is an immediate distraction. He's acting like a brat, and he's making his teammates' lives a fucking hell. It literally, bro, every question in the media, after practice, after preseason games, well, what do you think about Ben? What's happening with Ben? Do you know anything about Ben? Have you heard anything about Ben? Is Ben doing okay? Bro, can we talk about 76er basketball? Does it look like anyone gives a shit about him anymore? I mean, for God's sakes, fucking Joel Embiid said, I don't care what that man does anymore. I'm not a babysitter. You went to practice with the intention of, I'm not doing shit. You were in sweats, and you had your phone in your pocket. That literally, to me, screamed high school. Not even. Middle school. A kid throwing a tantrum. His mom made him go to fucking practice, but he didn't want to be there, but he just showed up and walked through the drills. You're a professional athlete. You're getting paid millions of dollars. You understand the significance of what happens when you miss practice in games. You ended up getting fined for the amount of shit you missed anyway with $1.4 million. Sorry, I'm not a bajillionaire to go and wipe my ass with it. But that's a lot of money. And if you're going to continue to act like a dickhead, this is what's going to happen. Philadelphia had the opportunity to go out there and get a viable trade package. Instead, you asked for unreasonable stupidity. And now that he's acting a fool, faking an injury, I mean, for God's sakes, I'm not going to go out there and say he's faking it legitimately. But it, it seems interesting that you have back soreness when you haven't fucking done anything for the past two weeks. So excuse me if I'm going to rush to judge here and say that that's bullshit. You just don't want to do anything. So go ahead and pay the fines. Enjoy being an asshole. And you're labeling yourself as not only a brat in the NBA, but a horrible, horrible, horrible teammate. I don't want to hear anything else. This relationship is not fixable. It's not mendable. The reason why Rich Paul was able to get Ben in the building was probably because he sat down with him and said, I don't want to lose money, and I'm pretty sure you don't either. Get your ass in the gym until we get you a tradable, a, a, a suitable team. So what did Ben do? Put his hoodie on, put his sweatpants on, said, fuck it. I'm going to just stand here and do nothing. Oh, I'm sorry. We're paying you how much money? Get your ass in a defensive drill. I'm not doing it. Bro, childish and immaturity does not describe it. I know Kyle had his little segment with New York, bro, but this just pisses me off. Every time I see something trending with Ben Simmons – on Twitter, on the internet, anything. In text message conversations between me and Kyle. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. It's stupid. To me, Ben Simmons needs to lock himself in whatever penthouse, whatever rich, fancy girlfriend's house he wants to have, Lamborghini shit he wants to post on social media. Sit your ass over there, stay away from your team, and just wait till you get a text message and continue to pay the fine. Because for God's sakes, you coming into the facility, coming into the arena, causing issues during practice for absolutely no reason makes no sense to me. You're a distraction and you're annoying. Act your fucking age. You fucked up and you didn't do what you needed to do on the court and now you're throwing attention because someone told you so. Wake up. Damn, Kev. I didn't think you were to go like that. But, I mean, when I look at the situation that's taking place here, I don't think at any point that this is going to be resolved in any way, shape, or form. The only thing is, though, is that 
I wonder if if Ben is doing this so that the trade value for him is so low that teams are going to be like, okay, well, we don't have to give that much than what we were originally planning to give Philly. Or I know Philly was going to, I mean, Kevin, weren't they asking for like five or six draft picks for Ben Simmons in these initial trade reports? The, 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 the top thing was like two or three first round picks, pick swaps and personnel. So, I mean, obviously I don't think teams are going to be willing to even come close to that now. So it's really left, left the situation where Philly is just like, well, we're not going to get pretty much anything back for this guy, even though that they've said publicly, you know, we want to get some sort of, you know, transcendent player in return for Ben, because we still think that Ben is a viable player. I'm like outside of his defensive capabilities, in his ability to facilitate the basketball, he's not that good, especially on the offensive side of the ball. He cannot score. And I know Ben's had this mindset that, oh, well, they don't really run the offense through me. You know, I have the, the ability to be able to score, but they want Joel to be the main guy. They want Tobias, you know, to be the second guy behind Joel, and then he would have to play third fiddle behind those two. But I, I look at Ben Simmons' game, he doesn't have a reliable jump shot. And the thing is, is that Philly can't rely on him to score because he hasn't shown them anything on a consistent basis to tell them, hey, this guy could potentially run our offense. This guy could, you know, possibly take 15 to 20 shots a game because he's showing confidence to be able to shoot the ball like that. They haven't been able to see that from him, and he has been yet to do that. So when I look at Ben, I do believe that at this point, that a large portion of the blame for the situation that the 76ers and Ben are going through are on Ben. Ben is acting like essentially a drama queen here. And I'm not going to absolve Philly from culpability here. I do think that there is some blame to go towards Philly in this. Maybe when it came to Doc Rivers and how they utilized Ben, they, he could have done a better job to make it happen for Ben. But if he's not producing offensively for them outside of assists what purpose does he serve you on the court you know play good defense pass the ball to Joel or Tobias and pretty much get out of the way and in fourth quarter situations he's essentially a non-factor I just don't see how all of this is going to be resolved if they actually somehow manage to keep him there I just don't see it you know, and I don't know what team is going to be willing to take Ben at this point with everything that's gone on, with the fact that he's been a terrible teammate to the entire coaching staff, the, his teammates. Like, who wants him? You know what you're getting at this point, and you still think that it's worth it? If, if teams are this stupid to actually go after him, that's a poor reflection on them. Because... I think at this point, when it comes to Ben Simmons' trade value, he's a tire fire. I don't see the upside with Ben at this point. Yeah, I mean, you could have him as a decent role player, but that's pretty much it. And is it worth bringing a guy that has this much baggage attached to him to the roster? I don't see it. And if teams are willing to do that, like if Sacramento really wants to take this guy, depending on who they would give up, I, I just don't think it's a smart move. You know, I don't really see it as any other way. But no, I, th I think Ben at this point, he's hurt himself more than anybody else. And that's despite whatever sort of blame you could levy towards the organization or the coaching staff. But 
he's done this to himself. And I think if, even if he were to hit the court for Philly this year, I think 76ers wouldn't have it with him. I, I, I Kevin, I remember we were talking about before that I think if Ben Simmons hit the court for Philly, bro, they'd be throwing batteries in him. Basically saying, like, dude, you're dead to me. Like, you have no place here anymore based on what you did the entire offseason and the preseason as well. So I think that this is a, an insolvent situation for Philly and Ben. And I, Kevin, I, I agree with you. I think they just need to cut bait, find a trade partner that is dumb enough to take him at this point. And honestly, I think once they get rid of him, I think all the headaches will be gone and I think they'll be fine. So I don't put think the, Philly's going to be... Put the camera back on me. Go ahead. I forgot. There was one more point. I need you to do me a favor. I need you to see if... Did Giannis win a Defensive Player of the Year award just, just for, for, for the sake of what I'm about to say? Why Can that? you look that up for me real quick? Why is that? So, guys, he made a statement. And by he, I mean Ben Simmons. I don't know who he spoke to or who got this quote, but he said something along the lines of, Giannis can't shoot and nobody bothers him, or Giannis doesn't shoot and he's doing just fine in Milwaukee. Kevin, I have answer, by the way. What's the answer? Uh, he won Defensive Player of the Year last year. Okay, so Giannis Antetokounmpo, let's look at his resume. Before the championships, two-time MVP, multiple-time All-Star, first-team All-NBA more than once, defensive player, defensive player of the Year, and now NBA champion and Finals MVP. Ben Simmons, what the fuck have you done in your career? You're an All-Star? Woo. You haven't won a championship. You haven't competed for an MVP. Hell, you're not even the best player on your team. And you're trying to make a comparison to arguably a top three NBA player currently in this league. You guys are damn near the same age. You're the same height. Whether or not Giannis is shooting efficiently, he's shooting the basketball. He's trying. You're not shooting at all. Bro, the shot clock will be at one and you will pass. Don't you ever, ever in your life, for the rest of your fucking career, make the comparison of what they're doing in Milwaukee because Giannis came into the league with nothing and he made himself. You have been hand-fed since you have been in high school. Coaches have said it. Scouts have said it. Your teammates have said it. You are so utterly selfish. You're looking at this till this day like there is no issue with what it is that you want. Dude, you're not shooting in the league, and they need you to shoot. So you throwing a tantrum and making your teammates' lives a living hell because you don't want to shoot is not something that would change if you're in Milwaukee. Giannis takes the shots that are wide open. Giannis practices the shots that he needs to get better at. Hell, Giannis is fucking shooting free throws 10 times better than your shooting percentage in your fucking career. Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I know that that statistic is probably absolutely off, but it's for the dramatic intensity of what it is that I'm trying to put across in terms of this point. You're looking to blame somebody else. You're looking to blame the coaching staff or the organization that is the Philadelphia 76ers for what it is that's going on when this is all your fault. So for the sake of this segment, don't you ever put yourself in the same sentence as Giannis Antetokounmpo unless you're saying, I'm not as good as blank. Because any other sentence is unacceptable. You will never be on his level. You will never be on his level of intensity or his mindset. Because Giannis to this day is still saying, don't even talk about the championship. 
act like it never happened. You're still bitching about why your coaching staff isn't putting you in the situation to win when they're asking you to do one thing. You are a professional basketball player. You're also not a center, and you also are not a person that is in a position to make this argument. Shoot the fucking basketball, shut your mouth, and play the game because you're not going to get your way. Whether or not you get traded or not, if you go to Sacramento, cool, you get the bag, you're going to lose for the rest of your career. So you argued to lose. You're not going anywhere that's competitive. And if Philadelphia sends you anywhere to the LAs or any competitive team in the Eastern or Western Conference, I think you're stupid. I think the organization is absolutely atrocious. I agree with Kyle. Stun him to fucking Siberia. And Siberia is three NBA teams. Sacramento, Cleveland, or Detroit. And we'll let him burn over there for the rest of his career. Then you can do whatever you want. Dribble the basketball. Never shoot it in your life. And if this situation comes up again, you might as well retire. Because you're never going to get this big bag that you got two, three years ago ever again. And if you continue to get fined and not want to play and participate in these activities and drills, that contract's going to dwindle pretty high unless you've saved up your endorsement money or you've saved up your contract or you've invested. Because $1.4 million for missing practice preseason in one NBA game, as opposed to multiple NBA in-season practices and games, is only going to make you look stupider because you're giving Philly the money that they gave you right back. So you're not only looking like a fool on the court, you're looking like an idiot as an individual and a brat. Act right, don't talk about Giannis. The man's coming off an MVP caliber season and an NBA championship. You've never come close. For God's sakes, you passed the young with Trey Young under the fucking rim. Bro, Giannis would have put it on his face and then laughed at him for trying. So don't, you're not in the same echelon as him. And that's all I'm saying. God forbid I bring up the Yankees with you this hot Jesus. Bro, but it's, am I, am I wrong? When I sent you that quote, bro, did that make, did that not like bubble you up a little bit? Because you're looking at him like you're really bitching about you not being Giannis or his situation. What sense does that make? I don't get mad at it or I don't get really like frustrated by it. I've just come to the point where I expect this. This is his stance. He doesn't believe that he's the issue in regards to the whole ongoing saga with Philly. At, at no point in time has he said publicly that, yeah, I need to focus on, you know, getting myself right, you know, making sure that I'm putting not only myself in the best position for the team to win, but I'm going to do everything that I can possible to get this team to an NBA Finals appearance and possibly a championship when it's all said and done. I have yet to see it from him. And at this point, I don't expect anything different. So anything he says publicly, no, it's pretty much going to be in some sort of way where he's throwing somebody under the bus. And that's really the point that he's making. He does not believe that he's the issue. Yet, it's like you stated. People have said this about him since high school. People said it throughout college. People said it before he became an NBA player. And yet, he has gotten to this point where, I'm going to be honest with you, Kev. I think, by and large, even though despite there's been criticisms towards him, they have not reached the point to where it got to last year. I think people, specifically within Philly's organization, are completely fed up with him at this point. And I'm surprised that Daryl Morey, of all people, is saying, we'll let this drag out for four years if we need to. I'm actually surprised by that. because They're going to make that money back. That whole contract, they're going to end up getting right back. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, to have that headache around for that long, I don't know any team that was really going to be able to put up with that. So, you know, we'll see what happens 
when it comes to Ben in the upcoming weeks. I mean, I just don't see a scenario where he can get on the court and he's not going to be affected by what what's going on in the stands because those Philly fans are not going to let him have it. I mean, they are going to basically rain booze on one of their own players, I think, the entire game. And that's despite the fact that they have given this guy chances. I've seen videos of him going to the free throw line. He'll miss one. But yet, they'll, they'll still try to cheer him on as some sort of encouragement. You know, they've been behind this guy for years. And I understand that he may feel some sort of way about how he's being utilized in Philly's offense or in Philly's system. But, bro, it's like you have your role on the team. And just be the best player that you can be at that role. If it comes at the expense of Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris being the focal two points of the team, so be it. Unless you show Philly that you can shoot consistently, that's the role that they're going to give to you. So it's either you focus on that role or you go down this path where you're going to basically blame everybody on the team, on the coaching staff, on the organization, that essentially that you're not the problem. It's everybody else, but it's not me. And that's been kind of the criticisms that people have been saying for years at this point, but it's reached a point where I don't think people are going to take it anymore. And I got to give Philly this. I couldn't believe that they actually find him that much money. I have yet to see a fine that big towards a player in my life. Well, remember, it's, it's it's combined. It's from remember I, the amount of missing games was I, like three hundred and ninety eight thousand. I, I understand that, but it's like he's not serving a like suspension. I mean, outside of the the one that he's serving for the one game because you know he won. He missed game. practice. Well, and because he didn't want to do the defensive drill on top of it. Yeah, you know, that, that didn't help the situation either. But it's like that's a substantial fine. And for something that he hasn't really been suspended for multiple games where he's missing those checks. So he will continue to miss it. The question is, does Philly just keep him? I mean, Dude, I'm so, worried... I'm so I'm so petty, bro. I'm so I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, does Philly I, really I, want I, to let I, him I go? Him. I, bro, I'm holding him. I'm holding him. If I'm I'm holding him. Bro, you want to be a brat? By all means, but we but we just but we we just we just said that they have no choice but to trade him. I'm saying like if if it comes to a point where if you're just going to continue to want what you want for Ben and you're just not getting anything in return, I would literally bring the team as a whole together and say, listen, this is the situation. Ignore it, block it out because it's not changing. If I'm the owner and the GM of the 76ers and this is how it plays out, I'm bringing everybody, faculty together, bro, even the people that fucking sweep and mop practice courts and the facilities. Everybody here, Ben isn't coming back. Ben is going to be at home chilling, paying us because we can't find a suitor. So you're going to have to deal with the questions and it is what it is. If you don't want to answer them, you don't got to answer them. Bro, I would literally put the world on notice. It ain't happening, Papa. You want to continue to act like this? So be it. You're going to keep paying me. Philly, either way, you get some kind of an asset. I get it. He's not playing on your team, but he's also not doing what he needs to do to help you win. Or you're getting paid from the idiot that you paid in the first place. In the, in the amount of fines you're going to get, if you got $1.4 million for a couple of preseason games, practice, and one NBA game, 
Imagine what you're going to get in 82 games across the next couple of years. Bro, are you kidding me? How many practices that is? How many team meetings and events? Bro, Ben Simmons is going to be broke. Realistically, 1.4 mil- million for a week, basically. Times that by 82 games. Times that by three or four years. That is the majority of his contract. Ben's not going to be hurt. I'll tell you that right now. Bro, the the contract what? was for $170 million. If he get, if what? he has to pay Philly back the majority of that contract, you really think Ben has that many assets saved and put away? What? We're, what, we're just going to ignore the fact that he's been making money this entire time? Bro, you realize he's paying it all back now? No. He's paid year by year. What he made last year. I don't know what he made last year. He still made $30-something million. Yeah, and he's paying that yeah. back now. No. Because he already it, accrued it. Because exactly. That, but you, you're going to have to spend that now. What you accrued, you will have to spend. In return, Philly is making that money back. That's not the NBA fines. That's Philadelphia 76er money. I understand that. That's it. That's for this year. Now, if he, But the thing is, that's money that he was going to make. That's not money that he's already earned and they're taking that away from him. He is getting fined for what he's probably not going to make anyway. Because he's not playing this year. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he's probably paying more than he would have received last year. If he if he made hypothetically, right? 30 some odd million dollars in the maybe, season, right? Maybe. No, because the contract stipulates I think it's 4 or 5 years 170 some odd million dollars. Again, I could be completely wrong statistically, but in the area of him being paid somewhere in the 30 million dollar mark between 30 and 35. If you paid 1.4 in just a week, whatever you accrued last year, you're paying more this year by missing this much more time. Well, so okay. in essence, yeah, you're going to pay right. more fines right. than what you're you right. would accrue. You're, you're right, because the thing is he's not getting these game checks. Exactly. He's you're losing right. this right. in you're, all you're aspects. Right. Bro, right. Philly needs to sit back like this, and Philly needs to say, okay, right. whatever you want, bro, give me my money. Because I, making it back. Because what I was thinking was that he was getting the checks, but they were just taking the money from that. That's what I was thinking. So, yeah, I mean, ben, but, Ben's a fool, bro. He make no sense. He shot himself in both feet, and he can't even walk no more. He's ruining his reputation, and he's losing money. You're not winning. Yeah, but it's like I said oh, earlier. Well. It's on him. Oh well. I I, w- I wish I could, you know, make thirty million dollars a year and throw a temper tantrum like this. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could. Bro, I throw a temper tantrum at my job right now. Your boy's going to get fired in the first, like, couple minutes of throwing that tantrum. It's not even a joke. And there's a chance that he's going to get what he wants. 100%. I can't rule it out. out. 100%. So, but, yeah. That's just drama, man. There's always drama. Yeah. Yeah, Especially when it comes to to Ben and the 76ers. There will always be that. So, I just don't see a situation where he ends up back on the court for them. It, Me either. But I will say this. If it, if there is, oh, I got to watch that. Oh, oh first gotta, game back, I'm tuning in, bro, immediately. Oh, that, bro. That, 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 that home crowd's going to kill him. And, and I try, Dude, I don't even know what his teammates are going to do. They're fed up. Bro, they're fed up. Bro, Danny Green was fed up like two months ago. Yeah. Joel was being the nice guy until recently at that last practice. He, he, had, when he, made he, he had enough. He had enough. And That's it, bro. It's over. You know what? Is it just worth it to get rid of the headache at this point? Because, like, to me, like, <laughs> not if you like, go make that much money back. 
But what did Will Smith used to say in, in Fresh Prince? Chain, chain! I felt that was a very accurate representation of what it is that Philly's looking at right now. Okay, if you're going to be a dick about it, then we're just going to make all this money back. You know, Ben's got to reap what he sows, bro. Says oh, well. I don't care. But I'm done talking about him, honestly. It's just getting stupider. Bro, you were hot. I'm, I'm still hot, bro. I'm like legit. I'm mad that the Mavs lost, so that probably had to do a lot with that segment. But overall, like the situation itself has been pissing me off since it started in the summer. God forbid we talk about the Yankees, like I said earlier. Yeah, no, no, no. There's a reason why I ignored your comment. If I just throw the name out, you're going to get mad. You already know the name, right? Do you want me to just walk off? Like, I mean, like, I told you I'll do that multiple times. I don't give a shit how high we get I, I, in this. Listen, I don't listen, care. I, I find humor in it. It's fun for listen, me. J- if Jay Williams is willing to walk off this set of fucking first take, I'm willing to walk off a podcast we do ourselves. I mean, there, there's, there's a segment that we could talk about that'll make you walk off the set, not just because it's about the Yankees. It's about Kawhi and that movie, that, or the uh, the album that he's dropping. Nobody cares. Who the I, bro, fuck? Bro, shut they got, up. Well, you got some features on that, bro. Oh, my Quit hating. God. Quit hating. But I, I think we've had enough. I I, I think um, I, we've been an hour and a half in. I, th- I think we're good for today. But um, with that said, you guys, um, we just appreciate you guys tuning in, listening to um, one of our most animated episodes recently. I think this is one of those episodes where we can kind of look back and say, we got some things off of our chest in this one. I, I could clearly say that with, you know, 100% certainty. Um, Yeah, I mean, going into the next week, I mean, I guess we'll talk about some of the, the football games that are going to take place this weekend. I mean, there weren't that many highlight games to really talk about. We only had the two. So I imagine we'll probably talk about those two and then maybe mention our honorable mentions as well. And then, uh, you know, the NBA season is full in the gear. I imagine by next week, we'll probably have a World Series matchup set up. So I know, I think the Braves might actually beat the Dodgers. They're playing their game, I think it's what, game five right now? Last yep. time I checked, the Braves were winning. So, you know, when, when this gets released, more than likely, you guys will know the result of that game. Uh, Houston's currently up 3-2. Or, yeah, 3-2. 3-2. Yeah, 3-2 against the Red Sox. So they got a chance to go to the World Series. I know that probably comes with much chagrin towards Kevin because they're a bunch of cheaters, right? So that's a no win. That's a no win scenario for Kevin, as far as I'm concerned, whether the Red Sox or Houston makes the world series, but go Braves. Exactly. But Kevin, do you have anything else that you wanted to mention before we wrap this up? I'm pretty much the same thing as always, guys. Thank you very much for everything. And we're at 237 subscribers. Kyle and I are planning to have a couple of guests. Oh, 238. Look at that. Two away from 240, guys. We're doing tremendous in terms of subscribers, view time. Uh, all the statistics are continuously going up. I mean, like I said last episode, I mean, even our audio platform is absolutely killing it lately. We're averaging 15 plays per episode as of the last couple of months. It's absolutely insane. So, again, thank you, thank you. If you're listening on multiple platforms, we really, really appreciate it. And of course, like I was just about to say, um, we are planning to have a couple of guests come on next week. We know it's been a while since we've had one. Um, I'm not going to ruin who the guest is, but it's a good friend of mine that I had in college who is also doing kind of his own thing in terms of his platform and uh, kind of streaming-ish, not really. It's kind of in the realm of uh, uh, card trading and whatnot. But again, super big Knicks fan, so I'm pretty sure him and Kyle are going to have some friendly banter. Um, you know, Also, just a, a, like I said, a really good guy in terms of sports knowledge and whatever have you. So. 
hopefully we can get that squared away with our schedules, get a good agenda for you, and then, you know, prepare for uh, a pretty entertaining episode next one for sure. I'm looking forward to that next conversation. That's going to be a fun one. Oh, Jesus Christ. I, I Bro, I'm here for it. I'm ready. You're, we're, I mean, we're always here for it. We're always willing to have the discussion and the debate. We don't shy away from it, whether it's statistical, opinionated, whatever. It makes and, no difference. And, and you know what? I mean, bro, I haven't said anything bad about the Knicks. I got nothing to say. I've got nothing bad to say about them. I think they're a good team. It's just their fans. That's all I got to say. That's where well, most of my issues lie. <laughs> it'll be a very interesting episode. Let's leave it at that then. But yeah, like, like Kevin said, uh, we just appreciate the support wherever we can get it, whether it's you know you guys listening to us on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube. Uh, we definitely appreciate the support wherever we can get it. Uh, stay tuned for our episode next week. It'll be on Monday. And other than that, you guys, it's all I got. So with that said, you know, it's Kyle and Kevin signing off and we'll see you guys later. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.